So Mark chapter 9, verse 49 to verse 50. And on my outline, I've got it as the opportunity of suffering. The opportunity of suffering. Uh, troubles are a part and parcel of our existence. Uh, we all face troubles. Uh, whether we are rich or poor, weak or powerful, young or old, whether just ordinary citizen or we are presidents or those who hold power. Uh, we all face troubles, and the troubles we face come in many shapes and sizes, in different shades and varieties. Some people are on life support as we speak right now. That's the trouble they are facing. Others are in the middle of a difficult financial collapse. Others perhaps are bereaved. Others have good loved ones who are very unwell. Others are going through mental turmoil. Uh, others are facing abuse at work. The list is just endless. In moments of trouble, uh, our minds are filled with many questions, aren't they? Uh, why am I suffering? Where is God when I need him? Why do I find this situation so challenging? When will that trouble that I'm facing at work going to stop? When will God fix my marriage? When will God bring lasting comfort? See, when our backs are against the wall, life is confusing. It fills us with those questions. And I think it is those moments where we must realize that the question we need to ask is not to listen to what People are saying around us, but to ask the most important question, what does God who made us make of our situation? How does he want me to respond to the situation I'm facing? And, the, and we know that this God has come to us in the person of Jesus. He's revealed himself in Christ. And therefore, the question we need to ask is, what does Jesus say about suffering? And I think that's a very interesting question. I don't think I've ever uh, gone to the Bible with that particular question. I've just picked up the psalm, read it, and been encouraged by what God has to say. But we are going through Mark verse by verse, and so it turns out that Jesus has something. Of course he does. He has something to say to us in Mark about this question of suffering. The answer is in those two verses, verse 49 and verse 50. It says this, For everyone will be sorted with fire. Sort is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. When I think about these words, and it's a good exercise for you to do when you are reading your Bibles, it's just to ask, what is the, how would I summarize what Jesus is saying here in a brief sentence? What is the big idea he's trying to communicate? And I thought about this, and as I started this passage, it became obvious to me that what Jesus is saying is that suffering is an opportunity to shine for God. Suffering is an opportunity to shine for God. Now, if you're like me and you're going through trouble in your life, even as, I, as I'm talking, that sounds like wishful thinking. Suffering as an opportunity. Oh, my, my pain right now doesn't feel like an opportunity, does it? It's pain. I, I want it to end. I don't want to go through the situation that I'm facing. But Jesus is God, and so all that thought, which is the right thought, to, which is a credible thought, of course, I have it myself, but all that thought for a minute, and just listen to a bit about how Jesus comes to that conclusion. Listen to what Jesus, who himself is God, has to say about the suffering you are facing. How is it? It is an opportunity to shine for God. Well, I think there are three things that Jesus explains here that helps us to see the point he's making. 
The first thing that Jesus makes here, the first point Jesus makes here, the first point, it is that following Jesus himself means suffering. Following Jesus means facing hardship in our lives. You remember this morning that Jesus has been talking about the horrors of hell. We had a sermon on hell this morning. And he made it clear that God, everyone will live forever, and that God will punish those who have rejected him in hell forever. Those who continue to live in sin. But when we surrender to Jesus, he changes that. He gives us a different future. We now are part of the kingdom of God. We now can live now forever, but in eternity with Christ. In the, as I like to say, in the new heavens and the new earth when Christ appears. But as Jesus is talking to the disciples, he does not want us to get the impression that because we now follow Jesus, suffering will stop. So immediately, even before the disciples come suffer in the future, he wants to remind them and ask that, no, the future, just because you're going to avoid hell, doesn't mean you're going to avoid, well, hell on earth, so to speak. It doesn't mean you're going to avoid suffering in the here and now. And he reminds them of this in verse 49. Look at that verse 49 there. He says this, for everyone will be sorted with fire. The word sorted there actually can simply be translated as seasoned. Jesus wants all his followers to know that we will experience seasons of suffering in our lives. There will be seasons in which the blaze of affliction, the, the, the fire of affliction will touch us, regardless of who we are. Everyone suffers even followers of Jesus. And the only difference between the suffering of followers of Jesus and the suffering of those who do not know Jesus is essentially two things, the nature of the suffering and the duration of that suffering. All true followers of Jesus are sorted with fire in this life. We, are, we suffer affliction in the now. And that's it. But those who do not know Jesus, who haven't come to the position of surrender, suffer not only affliction in the now, but they also continue to suffer in the world or after death, as we were looking at, and beyond that forever. And this point here, the fact that everyone will be served with fire, presents us with a clear choice that everyone in this room has. All of us, everyone in the world has. And the choice is this. You can choose the world now, right? And you still suffer, but you will be able to avoid some suffering. The suffering that relates to you trusting in Jesus. You don't have to suffer, to, to, to suffer for evangelizing the world. You won't have to go through persecution. So you can avoid some suffering while you still suffer a bit. Well, you still suffer like everyone else does. But then, it's not going to end there, then you will still suffer in hell forever. So that's one choice you have. A bit of suffering that everybody does, you avoid the suffering of following Jesus, and then you suffer in hell forever. Or, you can choose to follow Jesus now, and here's the thing, now you suffer as everybody else suffers, but on top of that, you're also going to suffer for being a follower of Jesus. 
We know all the apostles were, were, were martyred, don't we? We know Peter was crucified upside down. You can choose to, you, you can choose to suffer as we suffer, or human beings, and on top of that, you can choose to suffer for following Jesus as the apostles, some of them did. But then you will avoid hell forever. So those are the two options. And uh, in my economic background, you could do your own discount analysis, I'm sure. <laughs> Compare the two options. Summation to infinity for both of them, but different costs are involved. That's a choice all of us face. What will you choose? What are you choosing right now? What choice have you made? Jesus wants you to choose living for him. Accept not only the suffering in this world, but also on top of that, accept the suffering that comes from following him. And out of that, you gain life with God forever. No suffering beyond the grave. This is a very hard thing for many of us to accept. That is the choice that Jesus gives us. You see that what Jesus is teaching us here contradicts everything you hear in the world around you. The world says, seize the day. Take your chance. Live for now. Do what you can to live comfortable to avoid suffering now. And that's why at the core many of us do want, want to trust Jesus or turn to God because we want to be comfortable. Why, on top of the suffering I experienced, why would I want to follow Jesus and just have more suffering on top of that? The word tells us, no, take your chance. Seize the day. And as close as I thought about the fact that the word tells us to live for today, I thought, hmm, there is some truth in that, isn't there? Because there must be some agency to how we live, isn't it? Too many of us are too lazy just waiting for life to happen. It is important to live for today to one degree. It is. It is foolish to keep putting off important decisions about your health, and family for tomorrow continuously. No, life must be lived in the present tense. We know that's true. We can't just keep living for tomorrow, can we? There are some decisions that must happen now. So in some degree, there's nothing wrong with living for today, caring about my life now. I need to care for Abigail today. And I think God wants me to do that. But at the same time, we know that just living for today is not wise, isn't it? It is not prudent to do that, just to live for today. We know in our own life it is prudent to suffer a little bit now so that life will be better tomorrow. How do I know that? I know that because I am currently on a diet. I'm suffering in terms of what I eat because I want life to be a bit better Tomorrow, uh, Sister Sylvia has been reminding me to eat well, that's why. So, 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 we accept that. Some of you are saving money. You are forgoing something so you can have a, 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 a bit of a better future tomorrow. We wouldn't trust any politician who just spent, spent, spent money and increased their national debt. We want prudence, isn't it? That's what Gordon Brown uh, told us, prudence. We want prudence with our uh, fiscal finances. So, there is, so we see here this tension, isn't it? There's some good in living for today, and yet, really, life is about the long term. And that's what Jesus is reminding us here, isn't it? Following Jesus means suffering today. Why? Because it is good for us in the long term. 
On top of the suffering in this world, we can take on the suffering of following him. That sounds like a bad deal when we compare to the world, but actually when we look forward, it is a wonderful deal in the long term. But I want to suggest also that Jesus is saying it is good also now to live like that as well. In what sense is it good now and forever? Well, that brings us to the second point we learn from Jesus here. It's good for us now and forever because suffering now for Jesus helps us live differently for Jesus. So the first point is that following Jesus means suffering. Why is that a good thing? But the second point, it is a good thing because suffering helps us live differently for Jesus. That's our second point. You see, the reason Jesus allows his followers to experience hardship in this life is to enable us to live lives on earth differently before God and before the world around us. You see, from the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus, God gave you a new life in Jesus. You became a child of God. You received a new spiritual DNA. You were adopted into God's family. God cleansed you of all your sins. He, he forgave you because Jesus died on the cross for you. He forgave you your past, your present, your future. He gave you a new life. And this new life now that he's given you that it, is not an existence for yourself. It is an existence to bring glory and honor to God. To borrow from the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 1 to 3, your life now must be about offering a living sacrifice to God. And this is the second layer of meaning behind the words of Jesus in verse 49. Look at verse 49 again. For everyone will be sorted with fire. The phrase there, by the way, sorted with fire, is actually meant to remind us of another passage that uh, I don't know if Brother Rob entered at this last time he spoke, but it's a passage from Leviticus 2, verse 13. You can turn there if you want. Uh, you know your way back to Mark. Leviticus 2, uh, this is the third book in the Bible which Brother Rob took us through the, seven, the first seven chapters uh, in his uh, debut sermon, as it were. Leviticus 2, verse 13. It says this. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. The interesting thing there in Leviticus, God is saying is he's commanding the people of God to bring all their sacrifices. Not even the grain offering must come with salt. Right? No salt, you may as well not bother. It doesn't qualify. Why, why is that? Well, it's, it's for the reason only known to God. For the reason only known to God, God designated the people of Israel to bring all their offerings accompanied by salt. It was called the salt of covenant. And this salt was a way of making the sacrifices of Israel, if you like, pure or acceptable before God. Now, Jesus is God the Son who taught the children of Israel to do that. And now he has come into our world and is borrowing that image from Leviticus. He's saying to all his followers, your suffering is intended to purify you before God and the world. It is, you are being sorted with fire. You are being 
offered as a living sacrifice before God. He's not saying suffering makes us wanted by God. Okay? God loves us because he loves us. What Jesus is saying is that God uses suffering, if you like, to clean you up before him so it reveals who you truly are. The way I illustrate is like this. You might want to imagine a Christian as a... Imagine a very uh, expensive car that is covered by mud, you know, like... For a, for a, a brother's Audi. Yeah, that's, that's nice. That's nice. Very nice. Right? Covered all over with mud. You wouldn't like that. Yeah, just powered up with mud, right? But, so we can, you can't enjoy that now. You can't even drive it. Where is he going to go? But, but in order for him to be able to enjoy its beauty and uh, um, drive his dear wife and, uh, and Elijah around where they want to go, it must be cleaned, isn't it? It must be cleaned up and it must be sprinkled clean and I'm sure it takes it to be cleaned around at the usual places. Well, suffering does that. God uses suffering to do that. It's what cleans the dirt of sin from us, right? It cleans it out so that not because it now it makes it um, acceptable before God. No, we're already acceptable before God, but it takes the dirt out so that it can reveal what's underneath us. And what's underneath us is that we are born again. We are children of God already. Uh, we are heaven bound. And suffering just makes that more visible. Makes us more visible, so to speak. How does this look like in real life? Well, maybe you are struggling to raise a son, a teenage son, uh, who has become rebellious. Right? He's not interested in what you have to say to him. Uh, he's not interested in God. He doesn't want to know God. Now, a child who's like that, and there are many, uh, it's very heartbreaking for the parents. If you love Jesus, it's heartbreaking. Because you, you probably heard the sermon this morning, and you are broken about that. And it can, over time, leave you, even the sermons this morning, they can leave you feeling bitter about that. You can be saying, why is God not changing my son? I mean, why is God just wanting my son to go to hell? You can start asking those sorts of questions. But if you are hearing what Jesus is saying here, you know the answer to that. You know what's happening to you is that you're being sorted with fire. You know that your tough situation you're facing actually is an opportunity. Dare I even say your suffering is a gift from God to draw you closer. You are afflicted by this situation, but through that situation you are being drawn closer to God uh, to pray more for your son, and you are being transformed, becoming more and more like Jesus. Right? You are now moving, as, as God uses our suffering, from worrying and panicking, you are now moving to appreciating who God is. God is teaching you that he has everything under control. And you're now actually, over time, beginning to... Th I'm not saying it happens as quick as I'm, I'm preaching it. Uh, but you know some of you guys have experienced this in your life already. You're beginning to thank him for the valleys, as Andre Crouch says in one of his songs. You're thanking him for the valleys because in those valleys you're beginning to understand that yes, he is at work in ways we do not understand. Like that seed we talked about in Mark that grows underneath. You are learning to trust that perhaps in the middle of the rebellion of my son or my, my daughter, God perhaps is working and you are beginning to trust God more. That is God taking the mad. 
taking the matter, using affliction to take away your self-dependence, taking away your trusting on your own. The point Jesus is making then is that suffering is not there to destroy you if you are a follower of Jesus. There I even say if you do not trust Jesus at this point, suffering isn't there to destroy you. Rather, as C.S. Lewis reminded us, it is an alarm from God to say, I'm here and only I can fill the void in your life. If you're trusting Jesus, suffering is saying, look, I'm making you into who you really are. Now, this truth that the suffering, the suffering we endure is not meant to destroy us, but to make us better, is something that even non-believers acknowledge. It is. How do I know that? Well, the ladies among us may remember Beyonce's famous song, I Am a Survivor. What does she say? She sings much in that song that uh, all, all of that, the man that abused, you know, didn't treat her well. Well, she's now richer. She says in that, you know, you thought I'll go down. Beyonce says, no, I am richer now. I am stronger than ever. Beyonce in that song, actually is noting that the suffering has made her stronger. The world acknowledges that. Uh, recently, Ariane Grande in uh, recent Bigot, Thank You, Next, the song, interesting catch tune. Uh, she makes the same point from a different vantage point. She looks back on all our exes, our broken relationships, and she's able to say each of those relationships, she learned something from them. We obviously don't agree with the lifestyle, but she's able to say actually the broken thing that she had, the loss she's experienced, has made her stronger, and she lists those virtues. The world recognizes suffering makes us stronger. What doesn't break you makes you stronger, we learned when we were young. Alexander Sosniewski, writing from Stalin's Gulag, where he spent 10 years in prison, says this, Bless you, prison, bless you, for there, lying on that rotting prison straw, I came to realize the object of life is not prosperity, as we are meant to believe, but the maturing of the human soul. Sosniewski had learned, just like we all know, that suffering, even for non-believers, is not always fruitless. The world knows that. Well, if the world knows that, what more true for you, friend? You who know that God is at work, who orders all things for your purposes. What more, you friend? You should know that your suffering, in a real tangible way, is for your good. God hasn't brought suffering in your life to weigh you down. It is meant to make you sparkle. Whatever suffering it is, it is there to reveal that it's at work and make you shine like a diamond in a dark world. He wants you not only to live differently before him, but he also wants you to live differently to the people around you, your, 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 your spouses, your, oh, just one prulo, your spouse. Why do I always put the, why do I always make this prulo? It's single, right? A spouse, one. <laughs> and uh, God wants to make you uh, before your children, yeah, we can make that poor, right? Or your child, or your grandchildren, right? And this seems what Jesus is getting at in verse 50. Um, he, notice in verse 50, he shifts the metaphor of sort from being affliction 
Do we ourselves now so afflicted by, by suffering that we ourselves now become sought? Right? A bit like Job covered now in, in suffering. We, we become the sort itself. Look at verse 50. Sort is good, but if the sort has lost its sortiness, full of impurities, how will you make it sorty again? Have sort in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Uh, <laughs> this sentence, by the way, if the sort has lost its sortness, how will you make it sorry again and have sort in yourselves? Uh, it's like another sentence the Lord Jesus uses on a different occasion where it's recorded in Matthew 5. If you turn to Matthew 5, just flick back to Matthew 5, verse 13. You remember that famous passage. Some of you know it by heart. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 13. Jesus says this. You are the sort of the earth, but if sort has lost its test, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let's go back to Mark 9:49. Jesus is saying in both of these passages, you see, that you are a child of God now. And the difference between you and the world is a difference almost like a dish without salt, tasteless, and a dish with salt, which tastes nice. He's saying when you come, now that you trust in Jesus, you have a new identity. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. You've been born again into a new family. And because you now belong to God, as the affliction works its way out, you grow now into living for God. And so he's saying, look, you must not allow yourself to lose distinctiveness before the world. And here is the key point, which I've already entered. Jesus is saying here, the way you remain distinct, and it's so important we understand this, beloved. The way we remain distinct in this world, the, more, the way we remain salty, the, the, more, the, the way we remain like light shining in a dark place, is by embracing the fire of affliction. Jesus is saying, look, don't compromise in order to avoid suffering. Have sought in yourselves. Allow the fire of affliction to mold your character. Because it is only through being refined by affliction that you will look radiant before the world. The people will know you belong to me. And I think this, this point is so important that we understand it. And as I was thinking about it, I realized that, look, we all of us are tempted here by earthly success. We are tempted to think earthly success and comforts actually attract people to God. If God is at work, you think blessings. And what we want are Christians that are triumphant. Ooh, God just seems to be blessing financially. Everything is wonderful. And we think if in the church we have more of those people, well, well, I mean, just the world will repent, won't we, we think. We, so what we do is we want to draw people to Jesus with riches and comfort. And I see this especially in temptations to, you know, to have Christian celebrities. A, a Christian, you know, is, is amazing in sport. I mean, now they start worshipping him. Until, of course, like Jonathan uh, Edwards, not that they say the, the real Jonathan Edwards, I mean the contemporary Jonathan Edwards, turns away from Christianity. We love Christian MPs. We, we love Christian billionaires, don't we? 
Because, we, because that tells us our faith works. You see. But Jesus is saying, look, is, are you suffering to purify you so that you can become a better witness for me before a dead world? Look, your suffering is an evangelist. That's my model. Now, I'm not saying, and I preach a sermon on this from judges, I'm not saying that Jesus cannot use rich people. He cannot use people that never suffer. No, of course he can. We know in judges, Jesus used the rich judges, Jair, Abaddon, and Ibazan, to lead Israel. And in our day, we know many Christians who are living for God who are their billionaires like Kathy Ireland, right? But the norm in scripture is suffering. God has ordained that it is through your hardship that's that problem you're avoiding. It is through that problem that he intends to be magnified. It is through that suffering that he will use to win souls to him. So let us pray for more Christian suffering in our church. Because that's a model in scripture, isn't it? And we know this because it is, beloved, how do we miss this? We know this because it is through the suffering of Jesus that we are saved. And it was through him being nailed on the cross that you are a Christian. And it will be through you dying to yourself and suffering that God will use your life to showcase his power to the world, to draw others to him. Again, as I said, look, all of us here are happy to accept that a little suffering at the gym, right, increases our health. All of us are happy to do that. And there I say, yes, it is true, uh, a little suffering at the gym, I'm sure, increases our physical attractiveness as well before the world, doesn't it? And yet, we know that, but yet we're not willing to accept that spiritual suffering or suffering as believers does the same thing. Well, it does, doesn't it? The more we suffer, the more we are attractive to the world. The more we, the world sees that, ah, they are not in it for the money. They are in it because Jesus really lives. Because Jesus is God working, sustaining through them. Beloved, God wants to use his suffering to showcase his glory before the world so that you can be sought in, the, in a testless world. The problem for many of us is that we are not willing to accept this. We are just not willing to accept this. We think our suffering is a problem. It's limiting us from living for God. But actually, no, God is at work through your suffering. But imagine if you accepted that. Imagine if you accepted that God is at work in your suffering right now. Imagine if you, admit, you submitted to God's affliction. You embraced suffering for Christ. How would your life look like? Well, I think the first thing that will happen is that you stop being ashamed of your hardship. You know, sometimes we are embarrassed by our suffering. That when we go through struggles, it, we, we feel ashamed of our suffering. You, you feel embarrassed that you're always tired. You feel ashamed, you feel embarrassed that you're, there's always some drama going on in your life. Your marriage always doesn't seem to be working. It always seems like you are not on top of things. You feel embarrassed about that. How do I know you feel embarrassed? Because you can't talk about it. You don't like talking about it. You sometimes feel embarrassed that you can't share, that you've been praying for something God has not delivered. And you don't feel you can talk about that. 
Suffering sometimes makes us feel ashamed. And it doesn't, it, it, we're so ashamed that we don't talk to others about it. We don't, we're not willing to admit uh, that, that, that we are suffering. And I have to say, Christians around us make the problem worse. I don't want to necessarily just blame others. We are responsible for that because we, are, we don't see that God is at work in our suffering, so we feel shame. But I, most of the time, I have to say, it's Christians around us. I have experienced it. There was a time when we were praying, of course, for God to give us a child. And it seems that we were on the prayer list of the church every time at my former church. It was embarrassing. It was, you know, every time we were mentioned for prayer, oh, you know, the Lord blesses them with a child. That's it, right? And so you begin to think, hang on a minute, you know, the affliction I'm going through is how God is transforming me. And you are making it like a matter for prayer. I haven't asked for prayer, Right? So other Christians, now, there's nothing wrong with asking for prayer, but God had reached a point in our lives where we had accepted that, right? I had accepted that. My wife had accepted that. But, we, but the Christian community made us feel like we shouldn't accept that. Okay, so that's just an example of my own life of how suffering other Christians can make you feel ashamed of your suffering. Well, when we feel ashamed of our suffering, we are forgetting that we belong to Jesus. And we don't need to feel ashamed of any suffering. Because you are never more like Jesus than when you're suffering. It's that simple. You are never more like Jesus than when you are going through suffering. If you want to be like Jesus, dare I say, you don't want to pray for suffering, of course, because suffering is a moral evil. But you should know deep down that it is a point of suffering where you are most closest to Jesus. You see, if you believe suffering helps you to live different before God, you will not live to avoid suffering and make yourself comfortable at all costs. You actually start asking, how is God using this problem to make me more like Jesus? You stop praying, God take away the problem. I think you can pray that. But you start asking God, if you don't take away the problem, how can I use this current problem to live for you? You start gravitating also to people who have got problems. Why? I, you know, I love visiting hospitals. I love visiting those who are hurting. You know why? Because when I visit them, I find God there. And you know it is in those people that are hurting that you enjoy a fellowship of suffering being around them. As I remind you, as you see God sustaining them. And when you understand this truth we are learning here, you will gravitate more to those who suffer in the fellowship. You want to know what's going on because you know Jesus lives at their address. And it's the same thing with people around us who do not know Jesus. You will know still that the reason they are suffering is because God has allowed it and that God is now working in their lives in the middle of such difficult situation for their glory, for their benefit, and for his glory. You know, if you live like that, it won't be too long before other people who do not know Jesus start asking you, to share Jesus with them. Because they would want to know the reason for the hope that is in you. And the other thing that will happen uh, is that you increasingly want to live at peace with other believers. Right? Other followers of Jesus. Why is that? Well, because when you first add sheep, you realize you need others to pray for you. Right? And that brings us to the final and very brief point I just want to make. We first add sheep by sticking together. So point number one, following Jesus means suffering. Why is that? Well, the reason God allows that is because it is through hardship 
that it, God enables us to live differently before the world and before him. How then does it work in the day-to-day life? Well, what happens is that one of the fruits is that we, we, we face hardship by sticking together. We face suffering by stick, sticking together with others. We grow in sticking with one another. And that is what Jesus is getting at in verse 50 there, the final sentence. Not in what he says. He says, have sought, verse 50, in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The word for peace here is irene. It is a New Testament Greek translation of the Hebrew word shalom. It means a state of wholeness, harmony, and unity. Jesus is saying we should be united and be at peace with other followers of Jesus. That is how you face suffering. That's how you face hardship. You do that, you, you must do it with other believers because it's only through that that you are able to honor God and share the good news. Now, we need to understand that this point Jesus makes here is not just tagged on. This is very important. It's not just tagged on at the end, like, oh, by the way, have peace with yourself. Actually, it is an, another extension of that short metaphor that begins in verse 49. You see, as I said before, in the Bible, sort is a sign of covenant, brotherhood, fidelity, so to speak, commitment, yeah? Not only between us and God being committed to God, but also being committed among ourselves. And the final passage I just want to read for you is from Numbers 18, verse 19. If you turn there to Numbers 18, verse 19. Notice what this passage says in Numbers 18, verse 19. It says this, All the holy contribution that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you, and to your sons and daughters with you, as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of sort forever. Before the Lord, for you and for your offsprings with you. Notice there the, the covenant of sort covers the relationship with God and it covers all the generations that follow. It is a covenant of sort. And what you need to know about sort is that in the Near East, in the, in the land of the Bible, sort was used as a preservative, right? And the offering of salt from Israel to God indicated that their relationship with God had a lasting and permanent effect. That's what salt symbolizes. It's permanence. We have a covenant of salt with God. It will never die away. But here's the other thing as well. In the ancient Near East, when a stranger arrives to your house, you must invite them into your house for a meal. And usually that includes eating bread and salt as a symbol of brotherhood. There is actually a Middle Eastern saying that says, the Arabs like to say this, they like to say there is salt between us. Have you ever heard that Arab expression before? There is salt, well, perhaps you need to travel a little bit more in the Arab world. There is salt between us, right? What they mean by that is that we are brothers and sisters by choice, by covenant rather than blood. But the sort between us means it's tight. You know, we are tied together. We, we, it is real. It's as good as we are born together. So when, when Jesus says, be at peace with one another, it, Jesus is, it, you, could, you could change that to simply mean Jesus is saying, have sort between you. Have sort between you. Live as covenant brothers. 
Jesus is saying, look, you're not designed to face hardship alone. Your suffering is a community project. Let it strengthen your bond of fellowship. You know, sometimes we worship together uh, with another person. We pray with them. And we may even serve together, right? Without us being close. That happens. They come in on Sunday, you chat with them, but you're never close with them. Then all of a sudden, something happens in the life of the church. And we're talking about this on Thursdays. Something happens in the life of the church, right? And as something happens in the life of the church, trouble strikes, right? And all of a sudden, immediately we sense a new bond of fellowship in Christ. The fellowship of suffering. What Jesus is saying to us, look, is encouraging us not just to wait for a big problem to occur in the fellowship before we get closer to one another, right? Jesus is saying, look, let us allow each of our suffering to deepen our love for one another. In other words, beloved, look, you need to understand that I need you when I'm suffering. Your fellowship is key to help me get through my hardship. How is that? Well, because you have walked through pain in the past. You are probably walking through pain now. And I need you to remind me that the same God who helped you and is helping you is the same God who's with me. But if you withdraw from fellowshipping with me, if you, if you are not here, on, I'm just as an ordinary member, if you are not in real fellowship with me, if you are not here on Sundays, if you, if you don't come and pray with me um, you know, as, a, as a believer on Thursdays or Saturdays, then you are robbing me in Christ of, of your help to strengthen me, right? You are being selfish with your suffering. God has invested, as Paul Mallard, to use Paul Mallard's word, God has invested in you through suffering in your life. And I need that to grow as a believer. And by you not being in tangible fellowship, you are robbing me of that. And when I'm not being in tangible fellowship, I'm also robbing you of that. And this is a paradox of Christian living. We should be more together in church when we are suffering. But of course, suffering, the devil sometimes sends suffering to drive us away from that. But what the devil meant for good, God means it for good, for bad, for, for good. What the devil meant for bad, right? God meant it for good, right? Joseph reminds us. And, and so, God, the good in the, in the middle of your affliction is to strengthen others through that. And that's why Christ is encouraging us here. Have sought, let us have sought between us, he said. And so the question I just want to leave you with you this, this, this afternoon is this. Are you being selfish with your suffering? Are you prone to distance yourself from others when you are hurting? Are you using your suffering to build up unity of God's people? You know, some people when they're suffering, it's like the prams are just all over the place, right? They're just like all over the place, right? They're allowing the devil to use their suffering to divide God's people. We know that. We've seen that. We've experienced that even in this fellowship. But God wants us to use our suffering not to divide us, but to bring us together. And the question you can ask yourself is, is God, are you allowing God to use your suffering to grow, strengthen the church? If you're going to use your suffering to strengthen the church, you need to ensure that you stop suffering in secret or shame. 
Ask God to help you open up your heart so that together we can become a true fellowship, united in suffering. So there we have it, isn't it? The opportunity of suffering, the gift of suffering. How is it a gift? Well, as I've said, it's a gift because following Jesus means suffering. And as we follow Jesus in suffering, it's a wonderful thing. Why? Because suffering helps us live differently for Jesus. And finally, we see here, well, we see it. How do we do that? Well, we face hardship by sticking together.